Hey everybody, it is me, Kinsey, and this might come as a shock to you, but I have not always felt super comfortable identifying publicly as a feminist. Now that's not to say that I have not always believed in equal rights for all people under the law and in society, I most certainly have, but really calling myself a feminist has been something of a journey for me. I think it probably started around when I was in high school. Uh, I started to experience more of the world. I started to be interpreted not as a child, but as a woman by other people externally. But I don't think I felt really comfortable tapping into feminist communities until I found them digitally. Digital feminist communities have been at the core of my relationship with my own femininity, at the core of some of my biggest beliefs and my belief systems. They have offered me support when I needed it most, and more importantly, have put me in a position to be supportive of other women and other people who identify as women when they needed it most. But digital feminism in and of itself has shifted enormously over the past several years. We talk all the time about the performative nature of being on social media and being in digital communities, but when it comes to something like digital feminism, is it possible to extract the performative nature of being on social without harming these digital communities that exist for a reason in the first place? So today I wanna have a conversation about digital communities focused primarily on digital feminism and the ways that it's changed over the last several years, the way that it's going to change in a potential post Roe versus Wade world. So today you are going to hear an interview with Kate Lindsay. Kate is an incredible talent. She is one of those writers whose work I make a point of simply never missing. She writes a newsletter called Embedded and every single time Embedded hits my inbox, it's an immediate open and immediate read for me. Covers all kinds of digital culture, uh, communities, social media, trends, big tech, all sorts of really, really interesting paradigm shifting kinds of conversations. And Kate covers them with such nuance, such honesty, such vulnerability. So I made a call as soon as I read a recent newsletter that she wrote for Embedded all about digital feminism and said, we have to talk about this. We have to share it with as many people as possible. So that's the conversation you're going to hear today. I know you're gonna love it. I loved speaking with Kate uh, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. So let me know in the comments what you think about creating digital communities, about the way that digital communities are in some regards performative. I wanna hear everything you have to say. So let me know, see you soon. So Kate, why don't we start by just getting to know you? Give me an introduction, who you are, what you do. So yeah, my name's Kate Lindsay. I write the newsletter Embedded, all about internet culture. It's um, kind of been, been a thing for about a year now. Um, before that, I was at Refinery29 for three years uh, as an entertainment writer. Um, and before that, like all over women's media, um, I think which is why the sort of piece that we're here to talk about kind of spawns from like a general thought I've just been having about what is women's media right now. It feels particularly, um, I don't know, lost in from, from my point of view. Um, and I think that's a little bit because feminism online is a little bit confusing right now in general. Uh, and so it had been, I've been thinking about it for a while. And then when the draft of the Roe v. Wade op uh, opinion leaked, uh, I was like, you know what, I think this is the time to write about it and just kind of use the newsletter to work out 
what I was feeling a little bit in real time. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad you did as a, a reader of Embedded, a regular reader, uh, and somebody also who has experienced the the almost fraught nature of, of online feminism today, of what it's like to be a woman who is consuming content for women, but also just for people. Uh, I was glad that you wrote it, and it, it definitely struck a nerve with me just as a little background. I read it and didn't even do it. Like, literally, I think within four minutes of you sending the email, I was responding in the inbox asking you to do this um, because it really it did strike a nerve with me and uh, I, I would love if you could just walk me through a little bit of of the piece in general uh, it was titled what is online feminism now so you gave me a little bit of the background about kind of where this came from that this had been bubbling for a little bit but what was the piece uh, just kind of walk me through the high points of, of what it was and I encourage everybody to, I'll link to in the comments and everything to go check it out but just for the people who didn't get to read it what is online feminism today yeah so I think obviously the caveat is is this sort of my experience of online feminism uh, and I think one of the places where I ultimately land in the piece is that everyone's feminism is different but when I think about I don't think that has always been represented uh, in a mainstream way. And so the piece is kind of talking about, it begins with how I joined feminism, which was, I mean, I, I don't know if it's considered later in life. It was in college. Um, not because I, it's just because I didn't really think about it before. I like had been lucky enough to kind of not have many experiences uh, for which like feminism was uh, applicable. And then in college, I was just around around it a lot more and there was a women's center and I, I started doing reading um and I think that was also the time when just in in general it felt like feminism was becoming very mainstream and by mainstream uh it definitely the means like kitschy like there were you could get like fun embroidered pillows and and t-shirts with slogans like it was very cute and appealing to be to brand yourself as a feminist. And that's how I kind of entered into the workforce, which also happened to be when like girl bossing was a thing. And so I was, I like saw the beginning of the word when it was considered a positive thing and I've lived through it to, to it now being a negative thing. And so I was kind of thinking about like, oh, if those are the two, <laughs> my two personal eras, like what is my era now? Um, and that was what I really kind of had to sit with, with in the post uh, that I wrote because I, I, I think I was, for a while, I was like, I don't know what my era is now. I don't have, like, a way it could be summed up in a sentence or a poster. Uh, and kind of, yeah, where I land on the post is I think that's good because when I look back at the sort of more um, digestible feminism that I was uh, part of, it left a lot of people out. It simplified um, what being a woman is uh, and also, like, totally overlooked that you know the being a white woman is a lot different than being a woman of color and you know a lot of other experiences colored this like you know obviously trump's election was the big thing of like um the statistic of you know majority of white women voting for trump and it just threw what now i know were kind of like naive simplifications but it threw it all out of whack i have this desire to kind of comfortably uh identify and with myself in the next era and feeling that desire, but knowing with my head that anything I were to kind of um, really simply brand myself with going forward would leave somebody out or wouldn't tell the full story. Um, so yeah, the post is just kind of 
at the end, it's just like, okay, you kind of have to sit in that discomfort and find the communities that work for you. Um, and it just, I mean, I feel like the prevailing message of so much of my stuff is just like, just be nice. <laughs> just be nice to people. It's a good message and it's a it's a good strategy. But I think that a lot of the, the reason that it resonated with me so personally is because I'm around the same age, you know, that the, mm-hmm. when I, and I, I'm exactly in the same boat, I never had occasion to call myself a feminist until all of a sudden everybody was a feminist and it became mm-hmm. something for mainstream consumption. And I never really thought about attaching that label to myself. I just thought that everybody should have equal rights. But I think that kind of coming up in that the pre-girl boss era and the girl boss era themselves, it was it was cool. Everybody had that sweatshirt that said like a woman's place is in the house and the Senate, mm-hmm. you know, like these little <laughs> catchphrases that really, really stuck with us. And now I'm in that same boat where I find myself thinking, was that just the commodification of these ideas? Was mm-hmm. Did I actually believe any of that? And I, I do, I do believe in the core tenets of feminism, but I think that inherently it's something that is always evolving. It, it has for, you know, the entire history of feminism, we've always had waves. And I think that it's, it's really an interesting point that we find ourselves at now where we are creating these smaller niche communities because we understand that there is no one size fits all approach to something like equal rights under the law or in society society. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so, um, you know, there's, it's troubling, but there's also an opportunity in that. Uh, And you wrote in the, in the post today, the online feminist vibes are decidedly off. And that is, (laughs) that is such a a great way to encapsulate all of this because the, the way that it has shifted, the way that the, the act of being a feminist in a public space online has shifted have been pretty monumental, but now we have to kind of figure out where we go from here, what comes next. And so I'm curious with that in mind, knowing that doing anything in public now means doing it in online communities and on social media and in an online forum. How does online feminism do more or do less than than previous iterations of feminism, whether that's girl boss era, whether that's like Betty for Dan, <laughs> when we think mm-hmm. about what online feminism actually is, what are some of the biggest differences in your view from earlier versions? I, I think for me, the biggest thing is that, you know, the earlier versions Um, and how I participated in them were very siloed. Like the issue was just sexism and the issue Mm -hmm. was just feminism and every issue could be boiled down to, you know, someone being treated differently because of um, their sex or gender. And I think the thing that the pandemic helped really uh, bring to light for me is that so many of the issues of feminism are, I mean, intertwined with class, especially intertwined with racism And it's really reductive to think that uh, that something will be fixed by just putting a woman in charge of Mm -hmm. it or something like abortion. Obviously, it is a you know control of women's bodies uh, is a sexist thing. Um, But when you break down the issue like that, so that would be like the really simple way of looking at it. But breaking down the issue, um, access to abortion is not the same for all women. And if, um, you know, Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned, like right now, um, I could still go get an abortion. I still have savings that I could use to go do that. Um, I'm not immediately being threatened and I'm really not the one who's being most targeted by these policies. You just have to figure out where, how your voice can best be used and whether or not you want to be centered in a conversation because I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in it. Um, but if I were to be the loudest and angriest about abortion rights right now, 
for the sake of myself, I don't think that would be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or or merited. Yeah. And I, I think that this this to me is one of my um as somebody who is admittedly almost as online as they come. This is one of my biggest mm-hmm. gripes about being online is that we are are constantly centering ourselves in these conversations mm-hmm. because that's what social media makes us do. And it's also a little bit human nature. Like, let's give ourselves some mm-hmm. credit here. But we repost these, you know, perfect Canva infographics about every social justice issue as if we're the main character in the story. And Ruth mm-hmm. Bader Ginsburg is like our ultimate idol, you know? And we, <laughs> yeah. we lack the nuance. We lack the understanding. And I think that in some ways I'm... I'm not so much, you know, casting blame upon anybody because I very much have participated mm-hmm. in this. Um, but I think that there is sort of the the baby steps that had to be taken when mm-hmm. we first started feeling comfortable. And I'm using the the very much like royal we here, like everybody, mm-hmm. every internet user started feeling comfortable talking about things like abortion or racism or, you know, injustice of, of any kind or, or shape or form. When we started to feel comfortable talking about that and we were like, okay, well, we can maybe repost something on our story, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. we post a black square on a certain day. And that was kind of getting our footing in speaking publicly about what we believe personally because we felt pressure to do that you know that's a conversation for another time but maybe now we've graduated to this point where we can allow a little bit more nuance to enter the conversation Mm -hmm. where we can understand intersectionality and we can put intersectionality into the way that we publicly perform for other people online I'm hopeful that that happens I think there is still a lot of work to be done in in that regard Um, but I have seen I think with you know, this latest wave of infographics on people's Instagram stories, that maybe there is a little bit more nuance, that people are a little bit more understanding of, you know, this time around, it was less, here's an illustration of RBG and a little bit more, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm still going to be able to get an abortion or like, we're not getting rid of abortion, we're getting rid of safe abortion, things like that, that maybe allow for a little bit more context. One of the reasons I'm reminded of the earlier era is because I found my old Tumblr recently and I was scrolling through it and I saw like all the just like I mean none of them were horrible or anything they're just like you know very of their time just like embroidered feminist quotes and stuff like sharing that it used to be that easy um and now with infographics and with also um I think the people realizing that social media is such an effective tool for getting spreading information very quickly um something that also goes hand in hand with being kind of an active feminist online is also being really media literate it's more complicated now than just reblogging like a picture of a feminist embroidery it's like Mm -hmm. what source are you sharing from is the information accurate the infographic era it kind of overcorrected a little bit and now there's so much of it that you have you can't just post and move on like you're sharing really detailed information and you need to make sure that it's correct it's coming from a source you trust um and like look through it like really don't just share you have to engage with it make sure it's something make sure you're doing it because it's a post that resonated with you and not because you need to check off a box to sort of show that you did something which i think is a pressure that is like there's just so many conversations that intertwine um yeah. Uh, because I also think that there's only so much activism you can do online. I know that very much in, in keeping with this conversation, it's dangerous to make like 100% statements, but I 100% <laughs> agree with that. Like the the idea that we have to check a box to say like, mm-hmm. I'm somebody who believes in the right things, whatever you yeah. decree the right things to be is so troubling to me because rarely, if ever, for so many people who are doing that posting, does it go beyond doing that? And that's not mm-hmm. to, to guilt anybody. I think that it's better 
better to understand that there are conversations being had about abortion rights, about healthcare rights, about intersectionality today. As long as you know that's happening, that's better than the alternative. But my concern is that we you know, equate activism with hitting repost on or like mm-hmm. post to story, you know, and and that to me is is the gripe I have with the digital feminism or or t- the way you put it, feminism for viral consumption, that it, mm-hmm. it lacks, you know, like we've been speaking about the nuance and it lacks the follow through. And that to me is like, ugh, come on, like th- we we have these incredible tools at our disposal all the time. Let's use them th- to actually accomplish something. I do feel like we have in many cases. Mm-hmm. I've learned about new things. I've, I've gathered new resources. I found new places to donate money. I've spoken to new people. I've gotten to experience new things because of all of this, because of social media, because of feminism for viral consumption. But I think there is a stark difference between taking action within that viral consumption circle on the mm-hmm. Venn diagram, you know, and then the the smaller, more niche communities for feminism or, or for mm-hmm. any kind of community um, with some sort of larger aim. So what is your experience like with those smaller communities? Can you explain a little bit more, um, you know, like where they're cropping up, what kind of communities we're, we're seeing when we try to to course correct from that viral, like uteruses before deuteruses, right. girl boss, yeah. Sophia Amoroso, you know, what does it look like? What does it look like out there when we think about what the better alternatives are? Yeah, and I think um, what for me I kind of touched on this before and not to like beat a dead horse, but like class and capitalism are really, I think, the biggest things that have altered my thinking. And so with that in mind, I mean, we kind of talked about this, the feminism of of slogans and pillows that earned a lot of people money who were not women in need <laughs> um, necessarily. Something that I think I, ha- I learned, a- had a lot of awareness of during the pandemic for the first time was mutual aid groups. And the idea of, because it can be so overwhelming to see all the problems in the world and feel like you need to fix them or feel like you don't know how to make a difference. Um, And one of the things that's really helped me is to step back from that a little bit and be like, how can I just, like, what, rather than trying to take on some huge structural change, like, what is a way I can help the people around me? Like, what is the small, actually doable action um and trusting that if more people focus on that than kind of fretting about this larger problem it'll be more effective um so this is this is to say like i um got very involved in the i was staying in philadelphia for the beginning of the pandemic and so i got very involved in sort of the neighborhood association there and like dropping off food for people um and then when I moved back here, my local mutual aid group, uh, I make pottery. And so lots of times whenever sort of something is happening, um, I tend to not, I tend to always sell it for charity because I just feel like that is, I love making pottery. So it's like no skin off my back to make it. Um, and if I can, if that can be sort of my part in donating to the organizations that I think are doing good work, you know, local organizations in New York um, who are directly in contact with the people they're helping, um, then then I'm doing, then I know every time I do something like that, I am making a little bit of change. And just because I'm not alone, you know, changing this huge thing, I know that, I, I trust that I'm part of like a a group of many people each doing a small thing that adds up to a big thing. I feel like with um you know the last year of my life I've 
tried to focus a lot more on making making content about some of these bigger issues Mm -hmm. and it can be really frustrating because I look back and I think like have I moved the needle at all if my ambition Mm -hmm. was to get people to think a little bit more deeply about big issues uh, and maybe approach them from different directions than they previously had how do I measure that and I was at dinner with my mother and my sister last night we were talking about the potential overturn of Roe versus Wade and my mom was saying all of these like very evolved and very feminist ideas Mm -hmm. and she was like okay but what do we do you know like why don't you run for office what do we do why don't you mm-hmm. go I don't know enter some like city council race um and I was thinking about like what what actually can be done short of mm-hmm. of doing that and I, my my takeaway in having this conversation with my family was that that actually might not be what moves the needle most what moves the needle mm-hmm. most or or what I can what I can do most with what I have with the resources I have with like a microphone and a loud mouth and like a twitter mm-hmm. account you know is not necessarily going out and sh- getting into some grassroots campaign and like Mm -hmm. running for office and I don't know, getting attention for a couple of months and then probably accomplishing nothing because of gridlock. You know, it's it's (laughs) maybe more so Mm -hmm. doing the small things that effectively add up to maybe have some sort of outsized impact compared to what we would consider to be the larger actions when we want to affect change. Um, And so it's, it's interesting to hear about the ways that those tools can be utilized kind of across the board. Today, we're talking about what can we do to help women who are going to be disproportionately affected by the potential overturn of Roe versus Wade. Tomorrow, it's probably going to be an entirely different issue. But to know that there are means of accomplishing change that might feel on a smaller scale, but those smaller actions really do add up, uh, I guess it's encouraging is is maybe the word. Rather than being like, I'm not doing enough, um, you have to be like, what will like reframe it like what is the thing that I uniquely can do and because of social media we have the ability to tap into smaller communities or to to Mm -hmm. people whom Mm -hmm. we would never otherwise come across and understand what their needs might be because their experiences are going to be very different from ours um and I think that's like that's pretty freaking cool, you know? And um, I don't know, I I often have gotten in front of this mic and talked about like going off the grid and how much Mm -hmm. richer my life would be if I didn't have to like tweet. And then I spend like hours on TikTok falling into these rabbit holes, like understanding people whose lives are totally different from mine, which is like actually when you think about it, that's pretty awesome. Um, so I guess maybe <laughs> yeah. there's this is kind of the the larger takeaway from this whole conversation about, uh, you know, the the iterations of feminism in a digital world and like a post social media world. It's a good lesson to carry in our back pockets when we realize that the feminism that we first started with as like early digital natives is very different from what we have today. And it will be different from what we have mm-hmm. tomorrow. We have to recognize that there's no shame in like finding your old Tumblr, you know, or yes. like me reading Girl Boss and like posting yeah. about it on yeah. my Instagram. You know, like those things happened and they informed the way that we go about creating online communities right. today. Right. Like that's how you like, I mean, I have like exactly the same like cringy things that like really inspired me written by people like written by feminists now who have definitely said stuff I don't agree with. But it's like it right. was all part of that. Each thing like was a sort of a new wake up moment for me that kind of pushed me further this way. And also just in general, I've been thinking about this, like even outside of feminism, you know, when you're like falling asleep and you're just thinking about the most embarrassing things you've ever done. Like, the older, like I just had to like, I think this is something my therapist said to me of just like, you cannot apply sort of the logic and knowledge that you have at 29 to like something you did at 19 like it's just like as as much because I just I still think about like things I said in college or things I wrote and I'm like ah like that was so dumb why didn't I like know better and it's like because the me now is 
10 years more of experience. Yes. Um, yeah, like be like, like that's the whole thing is be forgiving of yourself in the past. Be forgiving of yourself now. Um, and as long as you're, you know, trying, that's more than can be said for a lot of people. <laughs> I think that's a really, really important point to make. Um, mm-hmm. And one that I've kind of been grappling with because I'm coming up on like, a full decade of being a very mm-hmm. regular social media user um, and a full decade is like a third of my life at this point which is yeah. like crazy that I've spent a third of my life on Facebook um, but like <laughs> that we as as a society we're going to have to come to this point where we recognize that like we used to grow in private and we used to like maybe mm-hmm. find our old journal and that was our, yeah. our means of being like wow I've grown so much but now everything is etched into history on social media and that can be really uncomfortable but in some yeah. ways like we need to just reapply a different kind of logic to it it's not mm-hmm. totally cringe it's it's like you're right I had a different set of standards and and means of like understanding the world around me today and that is a good thing and hopefully 10 years from now I'll feel the same way about what I'm saying today right. because we're if we're constantly attempting to do the right thing attempting to grow attempting to create communities that are purposeful and can accomplish change whatever the scale of that change is then we're moving in the right direction um and mm-hmm. all of a sudden this conversation has gone like <laughs> like, <laughs> I like into another atmosphere which I love I think it's awesome um but I think it's you know like this it's like I said before insert Roe v. Wade today, tomorrow it could be mm-hmm. something else. Um, and it's nice to know that it's not kind of all for naught. We're not just like right. shouting into the void that we can have um, impact is is comforting and a necessary yes. realization. Yeah, it's something I tell myself for most things, like especially, you know, with, some, with something like activism or um, something like sustainability is another kind of journey I'm on. It's just like, I'll have to t- remind myself like, one is better than zero, like something is better than nothing, um, which is helpful in those moments when you feel like you're not doing enough or that you messed up and it's tempting to be like, is it worth even trying if I'm not doing it perfectly? You just have to give yourself a stern pep talk when those moments happen. I'm going to have to like come back to this one every couple of months, replay (laughs) that pep talk, hear it one more time. Do you have any other recommendations any other things you want to hit on any ideas I think I I mentioned this in my piece just someone who I think has been because obviously online feminism is a weird place right now but a place that has genuinely been giving me that that joy that I used to get from like reposting an embroidery is Dylan Mulvaney she is on TikTok and she's documenting her transition really candidly every day but with such joy in the face of something so um I mean difficult and and vulnerable and in the face of people who do not agree with her and but one of the things one of my favorite things that she has been doing is really focusing on the, this concept of like sisterhood she'll just ask these questions like what what is one thing you wish you knew about womanhood before you entered it because you know she's in this unique position of kind of being able to get those answers i think she just represents i think what the future of what the present but more mainstream you know more visible future of womanhood is which is just women helping each other no matter where they're at. It makes a difference. And I am a huge fan of Dylan's. I love her. Mm-hmm. Her content is just, it's 
there's so much bravery in the mm-hmm. sheer joy that she applies to something that is incredibly difficult to do that publicly and to do it in such a celebratory way to be so vulnerable and open and honest mm-hmm. about it I think is just like it's beyond my wildest dreams of what social media should be like this is this right. is how it should look and and reading through I, I she's on my for you page all the time and reading through yeah. the comments you're right like it it makes me think like hell, hell yeah it actually is really fucking cool to be a woman and sometimes we can get so caught up with like how difficult life is because social media is constantly yeah like reinforcing to us exactly what I was gonna say I was like I feel like I'm in a time where I'm like really like not bummed out but I don't know pessimistic or confused about being a woman (laughs) yeah the vibes are off about being but then seeing someone so excited and happy about womanhood is yeah has been really helpful because you're like like you said like it is an amazing community um, and and it's it's worth celebrating, especially in these hard moments because it's so easy to, to not. I need to pin a bunch of Dylan's videos, you know, and then I can just like yeah, go back so to good. them whenever I get bummed <laughs> out because she is just so, so joy filled and that's incredible. Um, and it's certainly a good use of, of social media, I think, when mm-hmm. constantly we're at each other's throats all the time, yeah. myself included, but like mm-hmm. to be so, so bravely optimistic is incredible. And I appreciate yeah. the recommendation. We're going to have, mm-hmm. I'll put it in the comments for anybody who wants to, to check out Dylan's TikTok. Um, but she is, she's really doing some cool stuff. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining me today for for your honesty and your insight um i think that this conversation certainly took like even a bigger zoom out than i was expecting (laughs) which i love when that happens i love when we get to have these big brain kind of conversations so thank you so much for joining me today thank you for having me this was great